Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Okay, today we're beginning uh, the Kedushan Weekly Review, the Dafyomi Weekly Review, from Dafim Mem through Mem Vav, Mesachas Kedushan, 40 through 46. And Be'ezus Hashem, we're going to have 20 points. In the notes, it's from point 115 through point 134. 20 sections that we will cover, God willing, from Daf Mem through Daf Mem Vav. And we begin, Daf Mem, the top of the page, four lines from the top. So let's begin. We're holding actually in the middle of the last section, which was stories... Um, where people were Moser Nefesh and therefore were saved from Avera or from punishment, damage. So the Gemara told us a story and it moved on with another story now on Memo Moral, top of the page with Rabbi Tzadok, that he sat in an oven to show a Roman woman how severe the act of having relations with her would be and she let him off the hook. And how Rav Kahana similarly jumped off the roof, Leo caught him, gave him a sack of money because he was poor and by being poor he had to do certain businesses that brought him to challenging situations and Elio saved him and made him wealthy because of that. Now moving on really to the first section of the day, which is the Gemara discusses rewards in this world, the next world, punishments for peros and for machshava about your behavior. So the Gemara says there's a Mishnah in Peah that says, a person is rewarded in this world because he also benefited other people. As the Pasuk says, ki prima meaning that's considered tzadik tov, meaning when people do good things, that not only are ben adam lamakum, but also benefit other people, so they also get the paris of, they get paid back in this world to some degree as well. That's the Mishnah Meseches Peah when it talks about Bikracholim, Gimelus Chasadim, those things that benefit people too, versus other mitzvahs like Shiloh HaKen, for example, where it's only a mitzvah towards Hashem, but not towards people, so that's considered a tzaddik she'enotov, so he only gets paid in the next world, not in this. And in a similar way regarding Rishayim, there's one who's called a Rasha Ra, which is a wicked Russia. Obviously, Russia is wicked, but it is even more than that. He's not only bad to Hashem, but he's also bad to people, like a murderer. And he gets paid gemul yadav yayasalai in a stronger way, versus a Russia she'enayra, meaning he's only bad towards Hashem, but he's not bad towards people. For example, he's Megal Arias, etc. The Brisa continues and tells us that a person is rewarded with the principle and the peros for his mitzvahs that he does, but only for the peros meaning more than the sin itself, when it comes to Avera, if it's an Avera that creates Paris, like Chilal Hashem of an Adam Chashuv, where people learn from his behaviors and then act in negative ways as well. Otherwise, a person is not punished for the Paris of his Averas. Hashem rewards for a machshava of a mitzvah, even if an onus occurs and he's unable to perform the mitzvah, but he only punishes for the machshava of sin if A, the guy actually ended up doing the sin, or if it's Avaidazara altogether, he's punished for the Machshava. Or if he already did it twice and then he held back, says Rashi explained, it's only because he had some other reason not to do it, but not because he wanted to hold back for Hashem's sake, and then he's punished for the Machshava as well. Moving on to the second section, the next section. The severity of Chilul Hashem and a perspective one should have in this world. Gemara tells us it's better to sin in private and not desecrate Hashem's name in public so people don't follow in his ways. Also, if the Yitzhahara is overwhelming a person, it's better to sin in private with black clothing, etc. 
but this is only a leniency in situations where he could over not, where the Yitzhahara is stronger than him and he can't overpower it. Gemara tells us Hashem is not makif when it comes to Chil Hashem. Either that means he's punished immediately, or it means is if a person has 50-50 Averis and Mitzvahs, the Avera of Chil Hashem is so severe that it tips the scale in a negative way. Turning to Memmud Beis now, the Gemara tells us if a person does one mitzvah, he weighs himself and the entire world onto the side of good favor. And if a person's a tzaddik all of his days and he regrets at the end the mitzvahs that he did, he could lose all of it. If he's wicked all of his days in contrast, and he does teshuva at the end of his days, so then even the evil that he did in his original days will not be mentioned in the future. Moving on to the next section. Gemara now moves on to a new Mishnah, Memmud Beis. Mikra, Mishnah, and Derech Eretz. Says the Hilga Mishnah. If a person has all three, Mikra, Mishnah, and Derech Eretz, he won't sin quickly. And if not, he's not part of the Yishuv. He's uncivilized. Gemara tells us Tzadikim get punished in Olam Hazen, this world, so that they get full reward in the next world. And the reverse is true of the wicked. There is Machlaikas if the learning Talmud is greater or if the Misa, the acting, the performance of mitzvahs is greater. In the Gemara Paskins, Talmud is greater because it brings two Misa to the Misa of mitzvahs and then you have both. The Gemara tells us you see that learning is greater than the, the actions because the Torah was given 40 years before the mitzvah of Chala began, 54 before Trumas and Maestra, 61 before Shemitah, and 103 before Yoifel. Learning of Torah is going to be the first thing that a person is punished or rewarded for in the next world. And the Gemara moves on to say, if a person is missing these three things, Mikra, Mishnah, and Derech Eretz, he's Pasal Eidus. And in a similar vein, the Gemara tells the person eats in the marketplace, he's like a dog, or he's Pasal Eidus, turning to Memalaf Mudalef. An angry person only retains his anger, meaning he suffers in this world because of his anger, and he weakens himself, and a good person is fed from his peros. Back to our story, a person that has Mikra, Mishnah, and Derech Eretz, but, sorry, a person is lacking in these three things, you should stay away from him because this place is going to be a Moshev Leitzim as he has nothing else to consume him, only has negative scoffing, and you should stay away. That's the end of the first parak, Memalef Mud Aleph. And Be'ezus Hashem, let's pick up now with the next section, the beginning of Perak Sheni. The Gemara tells us in the next section, three types of shlichos for Kiddushin, allowances and effectivities. Says the Heliga Mishnah, a man can be Mekadish, a woman directly or with a shliach, as can a woman accept Kiddushin, directly or with a shliach, and a father can marry off his Nara daughter by himself or through a shliach. The Gemara brings two versions of Rav Yosef's the application of his ruling. First version on the Reisha, when it says mitzvah bo yoser, when it says ha'ish mekadesh is bo bishlucho, he can be married by himself or with a shliach. So on this, Rabbi Yosef comments, the reason it says bo first, even though we know shliach for short means he can marry himself off, obviously what it's saying is mitzvah bo yoser mi bishlucho. Now the second version the Gemara tells us actually is for a man to marry with a shliach without seeing the woman would be usser because he doesn't know what she looks like and maybe he won't find her attractive after and he'll be oivran ve'ahafta l'reacha kamaycha. So then the concept of mitzvah bayes and bishluchai applies to the seifa that it's more ideal to be married to do a mitzvah by yourself than with a shliach. In the case of a woman where there's no issue of the isra of yahafta l'reacha kamaycha because tav l'meisav tandu milameisav armalu, a woman is happy to marry a man. She's not necessarily going to have an issue with his appearance, but nonetheless there is the concept of mitzvah bayes and bishluchai, which is why the Mishnah says Aisha miskadeshes ba ubishluchai. Gemara finishes off this section and tells us that a father shouldn't marry off his girl, his daughter, who's a kitana, till she gets a little older and says, I want the husband, because she just doesn't have the das to make a, a calculated decision. Okay, moving on to the next section. Gemara now at the bottom, Memalif Mudalif tells us, 
What are the sources for shlichus in four categories and the need for all of them? So regarding gerushin, the Pasuk says vishilcha, vishilach, regarding the man's shlichus, instead of using the word gerushin, or vishilcha for the, for the woman, and it says it twice to teach us shliach oiseh, Shliach, a shliach can make a shliach. Regarding Kiddushin, the Yatsavahaisa teaches us that Kiddushin and Gerushin are the same, that there's also a concept of shlichus. Turning to Memalaf Mudbeis, regarding Truma, the Pasuk says Gamatem, and regarding Kachim Korbanus, it says Vishachatu Aisai Kol Kahaladas Yisrael Ben Arbayim, even though only one person was slaughtering, it says they all slaughtered apparently. This is because we're using the principle of shlichus for Kachim as well. The Gemara says, although you cannot learn one of these categories from the other, which is why it needed to say all four, you could theoretically have learnt truma from a gzer shava, from a memotzinu between, a binyanah between gerushin and kudshim. So now we move on to the next section. If so, what is the gamatem of truma necessary for? Or it gives two pshatim. Either it's to teach us that goyim who are not b'nei bris cannot do shlichus regarding truma, even though they could, according to one sheet, to have their own truma in Eretz Yisrael, or according to Rabbi Shimonu, that they can't have their own truma from in Eretz Yisrael, so they're completely excluded anyways, it still needs to act as a source for shlichus altogether for truma, and you cannot learn from the memotzinu between Gerushin and Kachim. Why? Because as opposed to the fact that it says, ma'atem, atem v'le'arisim, atem v'le'shutfim, there are certain people that are not allowed to do uh, truma for you, remove it. So you might think also, atem v'le'shluchachem, kamash malan, gamatem teaches us that you could have shlichus when it comes to kachim altogether. Turning to Membeis and Aleph now, according to Rabbi Yonasan Vishalchatu, which is the source we brought above for Kachim, that there's Shlichus, it's used to teach us a different drasha, that you could fulfill your mitzvah of eating the carbon Pesach, even though you're not having a Kezayis, that's the emphasis of the Pasuk, you just need the Zrikas Dam, so the source of Shlichus of Kachim is a different Pasuk, which is extra, which is V'yichulahem, Selebeisav or Selebayis, when it talks about taking a carbon Pesach, one could take it for the whole family, and since it re-emphasizes the same principle, must be to teach us, even where it's shlichos without a shudz, without a partnership, it still could be effective for kachim. Moving on to the next section now, the Gemara tells us regarding a bezdin as in terms of their important position in relation to yisom. So Rav Maraf teaches us, we derive from Venasi Echad, which talks about the divisions of Eretz Yisrael via the Nesim as they, each of the Nesim represented the people of their tribe, even the Ketanim without their Das, because they naturally don't have Das, and they were able to divvy up the land and give it to the people in their tribe. So from this, Rav Gilom arrives, Bezin could appoint someone to do benefits for Yisomim after their father die in order to divide up their land. Even if it ends up being detrimental, it's still effective. That's the Koach of Bezin. However, if after they divided up the land, orphans grew up and preferred a different division, for example, as the Gemara says later on Membezim Mudbez, near other properties that they inherited subsequently. So Shmuel says they could actually protest. Rav Nachman says they can't because otherwise there wouldn't be a strength that's emphasized in regards to Bezdin. Turn to Membezim Mudbez. Even Rav Nachman would agree that if there was a mistake made, for example, if Bezdin was evaluating a property of a borrower for the lender to collect, they made a mistake more or less than a sixth, meaning they, they estimated it either a sixth more or a sixth less, so then it would be bottle like the Chachamim, not like the opinion of Rav Shimon ben Gamliel. Okay, let's continue. The Gemara now moves on and teaches us the halachas of division. On Membez Madbezna to the next section, divisions of brothers and three laws of error. So we'll have Rav Nachman saying three halachas as explained by Rafa. So number one, if Bezdin divided up property, sorry, if brothers divided up the property of their father 
and they made a mistake in the division. If the mistake was less than a sixth, so nonetheless it would be effective, but not if it was done through a shliach, because if it was done through a shliach, they could say, we only appointed you shliach to help us out, not to mess us up. Okay, rule number two. If the mistake was more than a sixth, so then the division would be bottle. But if they didn't agree, that's only if they didn't agree to being like the rules of Bezdin. But if they agreed to be like the rules of Bezdin, we follow, actually Rav explains, we follow Roshim Megamil above, that we would say the division is bottle. Um, excuse me, it, it wouldn't be bottle. If they, if they didn't agree to follow the rules of Bezdin, so then it would be Batal. But if they did agree to follow the rules of Bezdin when in this division, so Rav Apostle is like Roshim Megamil above, that when Bezdin does it, it's going to be effective, meaning using the rules of Bezdin. If the brothers divide it up with that mindset, it will be effective because in Kain Makoch Bezdin Yofa, essentially, those are over, it would override the general principle of more than a sixth being Batal. And rule number three if the mistake is a sixth, it would be effective, but you'd have to return the overcharge or the mistaken extra money. But that's only if it was a mistake in metaltalin, not for land. And even for land, you would still have to return the extra money, only if it was divided. You, you wouldn't have to return it if it was divided by... You, would only have, you wouldn't have to return it if it was divided by value. But if it was divided by measure and there was just a real mistake that was made, there's no mechila there, and therefore you'd actually have to return the extra mistake value, uh, amount as well. Moving on to the next section, let's talk about shlichus for Avera now. So the Gemara tells us regarding the ila, which is the prohibition of benefiting from hektish, misappropriating hektish, there is a concept of shlichus. If I send someone else to do it, I am chayiv, as, as long as he did my mission that I sent him to do, because we learn from Shuma Gzer Shava, from Truma to shlichus, to, to me'ila, that there is shlichus. However, you can't derive from here that in general there should be shlichus for sin. Because there's a svara of divrei harav, divrei atalmed, divrei mishaimim. So in general, averas, averas, there's actually not going to be a principle of shlichus. You should listen to Hashem and not the sender. And the Gemara says the way we know this is because it's shnik suma ba'im ke'echad. Meaning, there's two places in the Torah where it says that there is shlichus for avera, thus excluding everywhere else. As we say generally, shnik suma ba'im ke'echad ein melamdin. According to Beis Hillel, that's by me'ila and shlichus yad. According to Gimel Manal, according to Beis Shammai, it's me'ila and tficha u'mechira, which is uh, slaughtering or selling an animal that you stole. You'd have to pay four or five times. As we derive at three different drushes, you'll be responsible even through a shliach. However, the Gemara says this only works as an exclusion. So we don't learn from those sources that in general there's shlichus for Avera if you hold But if you hold Melamdin, so you should learn from these sources. So how do we know that there is no shlichus for other Averas? So the Gemara says, it says two times Ishahu regarding Shchute Chutz. And since it says Ishahu, we actually end up having four drushes. It teaches us, A, there's no shlichus for Shchute Chutz. Also, it teaches us, because it's not necessary for Shchut Eichutz, the second drasha is there's no shlichus for other Averis in the rest of the Torah. And the final two, um, by saying the extra hey, hahu, uh, it teaches us meaning the words hahu, so what do they teach us? So one of the drashas teaches us that if two people slaughter outside a carbon, outside of the base on Mikdash, they're not responsible. The other teaches us that you're only responsible if you did it with your clear mind, but not if you were compelled to do so. Gemara just explains that if you hold so then they would use the two words from the latter drashas, meaning they would use the two words for the latter drashas, meaning to teach us 
that if two people slaughter at the same time, you're not responsible, and also you're not responsible if you're forced. And that shita would also hold. We don't expound the haze of each one, and therefore there wouldn't be any shaila uh, why we need to actually learn earlier. We, there wouldn't be a shaila because we actually would just learn originally from the svara of divrei rav, divrei atam, divrei mishaimim that we don't have shlichus for avera. And the Gemara continues and tells us an interesting sheet of Shammai Azakin. In the name of Chagai Novi, he says, "Your chayev, if you send someone to kill somebody else, he argues in the Tanakhama, and he quotes the source from David and Uriah, as Nasan and Novi told him, I say, Arakta of Amun. To some degree, it seems like David was responsible for the killing of Amo, of, of Uriah by the sword of Amun. And the Gemara gives three explanations for this sheet of Shammai. Number one, he holds and he doesn't expound the extra he by each. Although, as the Gemara explains later, he would agree, if it involves pleasure like Arias or Machalos Asuros, but from this case of David Amelech, actually we derive in general, there's shlichus for all Averis, because again, as we explained, so you learn from those sources, whether it's Me'ila and Ficho Mechira, or shlichus Yad, that there is shlichus for Avera, and the two drushes are used for the things above, not connected to shlichus. The second way we explain Shammai is that he does expound the Hayes. And actually, he would hold that when it says, really in general, you're not responsible for shlichus of Avera, because the uh, Hayes would exclude ein shliach ledvar Avera. However, when he says you're responsible, it means in Shamayim, uh, you're not responsible in uh, earthly courts. And the argument on the Tanakhama is just with what degree. The Tanakhama says it's a smaller degree, like a gorim, but Shammai would say you're responsible to a greater degree. The third explanation is like the second, that it's only that you're not responsible in general with shlichus for Avera, but it's only when it comes to murder because of the Pasuk that says, On this, the Tanakhama argues, actually learns the Pasuk in the exact opposite. It means just as you're not responsible, Nasan was telling David, for the swords of Amun, because Orya was murdered by Malchus, you're also not responsible for his death at the swords of B'nai Amun. Okay, moving on now to the next section. Let's talk about shliach nasa'eda, shliach becoming a witness, machleikis and applications. Think more as a machleikis here regarding kiddushin and monetary cases. Ra versus Dvei Rabbi There's actually two versions of which one, which way each one holds. So one way, we Gemara says, is one, one shita is that a shliach could become an aid, which means when the shliach is sent, for example, to deliver the kedushin, so then the shliach can also become the aid to say that the kedushin was delivered and the woman is married. So if there was two shluchim, they could testify about the kedushin. And the svara in this argument would be that the shliachus actually strengthens the testimony. I know that it happened because I was the shliach. Or the other way to say it would be that shliach cannot become an aid because since shlucha shaladam kimaisai and a person can't testify about his personal situation, so he's no geya also because the shliach is like the one who sent him. Each one is bolstered by a tana. The Gemara paskins shliach could become an aid and turning to mem gimlamud beis now. Rava Amar of Nachman applies this now. This is true regarding kedushin. Gerishin and monetary cases, i.e., if a lender, a borrower sends money in the hands of Shluchim to deliver to the lender, it is considered Shliach Nasa aid. And Gemara explains why you need to state it by each of them Gerishin, Kedushin, and monetary cases. Now, regarding monetary cases, the Gemara just points out that the Tana, Rav Amar of Nach, the Amoira, Rav Amar of Nachum, must hold that if a person borrowed with witnesses, which in this case would mean the borrower gave money to the Edim or the Shluchim that were going to deliver it. 
the shluchim got money from the borrower with witnesses, they would not need to pay back with witnesses. And therefore, really, they'd be able to give back the money to the borrower and say they gave it back without any question. Now, the reason the borrower would need Edom over here, meaning and there has to be Shliach Nasa aid in order for him to be Yitzah paying, is because the borrower said, I paid back with Shluchim. So now there needs to be Edom on that delivery that it was actually given. Had he given it directly and said, I gave it directly, wouldn't be necessary. It's only because he said, I sent it with Shluchim that it needs to be an Edus on it. But since the Shluchim could have said, we returned it to the borrower, they're believed that they paid the lender as well, Shliach Nasa aid. However, the Gemara says since today there's a concept of shuas hasis, which means the shluchim would actually have an incentive to lie. Because they would want to say we paid the lender so we don't have to swear when the borrower says, well, if you gave me back the money, then swear you did. Or, or if you paid up, then swear that you paid up. Therefore, shluchim will swear that they, in Psak, what's going to happen is we're going to say that shluchim will have to swear they paid the lender, lender will swear that he didn't receive the money, and the borrower will have to pay the lender, and we would not say shliach nasa aid anymore because that shliach would have an incentive not to tell the truth. He is definitely no gebedavra. Moving on to the next section, now we start to discuss a nara accepting kedushin and gerushin. The machlaikis Rabbi and Reish Lakish. The Mar Mishnah and Gitin had told us there's a machlaikis if a nara could accept her own get. According to the Tanakhama, she could. It means hiva via mekablanes gita, which again, it's important to note this is only during Eris, and if it's after Nesuin, her father's out of the picture. But she could also. Rebuta says, and therefore only she, her, her father can accept her get, not her. Now, if this machlaikis tanoim is equally applicable for Kedushin. Rish Lakish says it's the same machlaikis, and Tanakhama says she can also accept her own Kedushin, the Nara. And Rabbi Yechanan says, no. It's only by Gerushin that there's an argument. By Kedushin, Tanakama would agree to Rabbi Yehuda, only the father can accept her Kedushin. Now the Gemara explains what would be the Svara in this. The first way the Gemara explains Rabbi Yechanan, why the Tanakama would distinguish between Kedushin and Gerushin, basically Rabbi Hanina explains, is the difference would be, in regards to Gerushin, she's re-entering her father's domain. So he's happy for her to accept it. But regarding Kedushin, she's leaving her father's domain, only her father could accept it and not her. However, the Gemara refutes this, turning to Mamdala and Aleph, because the Brayse Paskins with Maimar of Anara, <clears throat> which again is where she falls to, ye- to Yibum, and then the brother-in-law gives the Kedushin Drabonan as associated with the Yivama, that it actually could be done by herself, even though she's being removed from her father's domain. So you see clearly that far is not true. So rather the Gemara gives a second explanation, that there's a distinction, the distinction between Gerishin and Kedushin would be, is it an act that could be done Balkarcha of the father anyways? So regarding Gerishin, for example, and Mimer, which the Gemara says according to Rebbe could also be Balkarcha, there, it could even be done by, uh, by the, her accepting it because anyways, it's Balkarcha against the father's will. However, if it's a mice that requires consent, only the father can accept it and not her, and therefore Kedushin, only the father could accept, even according to the Tanakama. And the Gemara says this is actually logical in the read in the Brisa because the Brisa itself distinguishes between Maimer that she could accept and Kedushin, which she could not. So the Gemara now turns to Reish Lakish and says, Lachar, the Brisa comes out difficult because you see the Brisa says, only she could accept the Kedushin. So the Gemara answers, Rish Lakish explains the Brice in the position of Rav Yehuda. So therefore, Kedushin is only through her father. But Maimer, since it, she's already Zekuk of Aimedes, so there's already a start 
to their relationship, even through her, if Yehuda would concede, could she could accept the Mimer as well. And with this in mind, the Gemara just falls back, and we can go back to the first explanation, the distinction is if she's leaving or entering the father's domain, Rabbi Yochanan could also be explained in the Brisa that the reason Mimer could even be done through her, even though she's leaving his domain is because she's a kukavai medas. Gemara asks the question, Rish Lakish, though, is that our Mishnah teaches a nar is married bo bishlucha, which implies that only the father and not her could marry off this nar. So Rish Lakish answers, it's like the position of Rabbi Shimon, which is the seifa, it's the next Mishnah, which we'll get to later today, actually. The Gemara tells us later that the Mishnah tells us, Rabbi Shimon's the Tano holds that when you use different languages, it separates the, the statements that by the case of being married with dates. He's the Tano of the Seifa. So he's the Tano of the Reisha as well. And he concedes with Rabbi Yehuda that Kedushin is only done by the, daughter, the uh, father and not by the Nara herself. So that's why actually the Mishnah in Echanami implies a Rabbi because it's Rabbi Shimon who holds a Rabbi Yehuda in that halacha. The Gemara quotes a story that the Chacham in the base matter shall pass like Rabbi Yochanan, that there's no argument regarding Kedushin. All agree that it's only done through her father. Rish Lakish pro- protested. He cried out like a crane because he said, should be the same debates. But nobody listened to him and Avin Stam reported this. seemed to be the Gemara came out like Rabbi Yochanan that even the Tanakhama would concede with Rabbi Yehuda regarding Kedushin. Only the father can accept it. Moving on now to Memdalad and base, the next section. The Gemara tells us a shaila regarding a nara appointing a shliach to accept her get. So Rav asked Rav Nachman, can a nara make a shliach to accept her get? Right, we're coming out that a nara could accept her get for sure, according to the Tanakama. Well, can she make a shliach? Do we say, although she's like her father's yad, is she considered as strong as him, just as he could appoint a shliach, she could also, or not, and uh, only she could accept it herself and not appoint a shliach? Rav Nachman said she cannot. She's not as strong as her father's Yad Lemaisa. And he explains the Mishnah in Gitin, where it seems like she could, where there's no father, then the Nara could appoint the Shliach, but if there's uh, a father, certainly she could not. Although a Kitana, anyways, is unable to because she doesn't have this ability uh, to make Shlichas at all. Moving on now to the next section. The Gemara tells us now the story, the, the, uh, a question and a machlokis, really, regarding the Kedushin of a Kitana by herself, if it's effective or not. Kitana goes out and accepts Kiddushin, Shalayla Dasavia, without her father's consent. So Shmuel and Rab both paskin, she'll need a get, because maybe the father will ultimately agree, but she also needs Mion to show that it's not certain that this was a Kiddushin Dairaisa, which is important to make that emphasis, because if the Baal would give Kiddushin to her sister, if she received the get, people will just say it's achas grushasa and it's not effective. Now that she also has to do miyun to get out of this situation, people will know it wasn't necessarily a kedushin dairaisa, which is based on the fact that maybe the father wasn't nisratza, he wasn't agreeable. Now the Gemara has two versions in the commentary on this psak of Shmuel and Rav. The first version is Rav Nachman qualifies this psak. When do we need get and miyun? It's only when there were shidduchim through the father before. He set up this relationship before. Otherwise, you wouldn't need anything because you wouldn't be worried. The second version is that Shmuel holds even without Shidduchim, you'd still need Gerish, Get, and Mion in order to break this situation. Ula would argue, again, Misafik obviously, but Ula argues and says only if there was Shidduchim would you need a Get and Mion after the fact. Now, the Gemara brings an alternative version of Ula where he was just paskining separately but not on Rav and Shmuel. And he says, regardless if there was Shidduchim or not, uh, you would not need a Get 
or Mion afterwards, we wouldn't be worried. Shem And he would explain the Mishnah in Yevamas that seems to imply you do need Mion. That's where it was the Yisoma Vachai Avia, so the Kedushin was binding on a rabbinic level. That's why there was a need for Mion. Turning to Memhe Amud Aleph, Gemara explains how, Ula explains, how a father could sell Almanul Kohen Gadol in the Brisa. As according to Rabbi Yosib, Rabbi Yehudu holds, it's referring to Yud, and since Moses Rishon Eslav the Kedushin, it knew he never married her off. And therefore, it wouldn't be an issue of Shefchus Acharishus because he never married her off. Therefore, he could sell her again. But this wouldn't challenge his position again because, as he said above, uh, even if there was a marriage that had happened by her, it's totally ineffective. This katana can't create any reality of marriage. Okay. Moving on to the next section. The Gemara tells us what happens if a katana accepted the condition with her father without her father's consent. The husband died, and now you have a yibum situation. So, Ravuna Marav says, and this actually follows Rab Sak of the previous Amud, which is that in general we would be worried, Sheminis Ratzav, so you need to get a Mion. So now if the Yavam did Mimer, so then she would need three things. One, she'd need a get. Maybe the father agreed to the Yavam's Kedushin. Two, she needs Chalitza because maybe he, the father was agreeable to the first husband's Kedushin, and this is a real Yibam Chalitza situation. But she also needs Mion because maybe you didn't agree to either of them. Really, the focus is that you didn't agree to the second one, and people will think the condition is not binding if all you have is Chalitza, if all you have is um, the Get, people will just think that the Kedushin uh, wouldn't be binding with her sister should he give her Kedushin later. Now, if he didn't do Mimer, you'd only need Chalitza and we would not be concerned to require Mion because people know that Achos Chalutzaso is Midrabanan. It's only also Midrabanan. And actually, Kedushin could be binding to require a get. So if this guy would give Kedushin to her sister, even if they thought she was an Achos Chalutzaso, there still would be a necessity for a get, and everybody knows that. Moving now to Memhamud Bey's in the next section. The Gemara tells us three stories where we're not concerned about Shemin Nisratze Ha'av. Story number one, the Gemara tells us there was a father of a boy who gave wine for Kedushin to the father of a girl, Kitana. Ravina said, we're not worried it's effective at all because we didn't hear that the boy appointed the father as his messenger. And Ravina actually disagrees with Rav and Shmuel. We don't, we're not concerned Shem Av, and certainly we're not worried maybe Nisratza Ha'ben. Story number two, there was a man who married off, a man who married a Kitana without her father's consent with vegetables in the market as Kedushin and, and place. Ravina said, even according to Rav and Shmuel, this wouldn't be effective because Rav and Shmuel only say Shemines Ratza Avid was done in an honorable way. But either of these factors would be considered disrespectful, uh, mon very mundane, lowering, and therefore it would disqualify the concern altogether. So there's no need for a get. In story number three, there was a debate between a man and, a, and his wife who they would marry off their Katana daughter to. Eventually, the man agreed to his wife and they made a party. And her relative was there to give her Kedushin, but before her relative could, his relative snuck into the roof and gave Kedushin. Both Abayi and Rav Paskin, this would not be an effective Kedushin. Abayi says it's because Jews won't retract on their word. He already agreed that his Kitana would marry her, his wife's relative. And Rav says it's because he wouldn't create a whole party and then forfeit it because now she's not marrying her, his wife's relative anyways. And then Afkamin would be if he didn't prepare this entire Sa'uda. Moving on to the next section, Gemara tells us three more scenarios of a katana accepting Kedushin and then the ensuing Machleksin. Number one, father accepted the Kedushin, which means it's a Kedushin Dairaisa. Then he went overseas and she proceeds with the Nisuin. 
Rav says she can eat truma until her father returns and protests, because we could assume since he was agreeable to the Kedushin, which was certainly Dairais, he would be agreeable to the Nesuin as well. So if he's a Kohen, we can assume that he could eat, she could eat truma. Now it's important to note Rav's leniency is really based on the assumption, as we learned many times, really a Nara that's Me'urasa to a Kohen can already eat truma on a Dairaisa level. It's only the Rabbanan who said it's only after Nesuin. So therefore, at most, she's doing something that's Asumid Rabbanan. But Ravasi says she can't eat Truma because maybe he'll come later and void the Nesuin when he returns and then it'll retroactively be doing an Esr Rabbanan. The Gemara explains that Rav was Machmir, like Ravasi, and he said in general she can't eat Truma even though she accepted the Nesuin by herself. But he would agree in principle that the husband would not inherit her if she would die because since the money remains in her father's domain, because that's a diarisa issue, inheriting her. So therefore we'll say that it remains with her father if her, she should die, versus Truma, which is the most innocent Rabban. And so he says, even if the father's not here, we could assume she could already eat Truma. And then moves on to the second Machlaikis, which is the same case, but the father was local when she accepted Nisuin without his consent. Now Rav Huna says she can't eat Truma, even according to Rav in the past case, because his silence here is because he's angry. And therefore, he's not agreeable, she can't eat truma. Yermia Baraba interprets his silence to mean that he's agreeable, so even according to Rav Asi in the prior Machlokas, she could eat truma. Now, case number three is that both the Kedushin and the Nesuin were done without her father's consent with his Kitana, and the father's local. Now, Rav Huna says she could eat truma, Rav Yermia Baraba says she couldn't. Ula couldn't understand Rav Huna's Svara. He says it's illogical based on the second case. Where he accepted the Kedushin, and then she went through with the Nesuin and he's local, Ravuna Paskin, she can't eat truma. So why would it be when she goes through with both that she could eat truma? He doesn't understand Ravuna's position, and therefore Ula actually sides with Ravirmiya Baraba and says he's more logical to say she can't eat truma in this case. Rava explained that Ravuna is logical because since the father was silent two times in a row, he obviously relinquished his rights over her because if he was Makbid, he would have been Makbid at least after the first time. But not to be Makbid twice... Already, that's like Yesom Bechayavia, and therefore she's actually married. That's why she could eat Truma. Okay, moving now to Memvav Muralif. Next section. Whereas a Machlaikis, who can retract when the Katana accepts her own Kiddushin? So the Gemara says like this If she accepted her Kiddushin without her father's knowledge, Rav says, not only can the father knock this Kiddushin out, but she could also. Ravazi says, only the father can retract. The Gemara brings a Pasuk by Mefata, which implies that she could also retract. However, Rav says this is not necessarily a Kash on Ravasi, because this could be talking about where it was a Pitoy Shalom L'Shem Kedushin. But if it was L'Shem Kedushin, maybe she couldn't retract. Moving on to the next section, we have a new Mishnah regarding marrying with dates. We quoted this above. The Mishnah says three different sections. When, when would it combine and when were the dates not combined? So if the man gave the girl dates and said, He separated with the words, Zakta Mishnah in case number one, she'd only be married if one of those dates was worth a pruta, but they don't join together. If he didn't say that, meaning instead he said, uh, so then they would actually combine, and as long as it's a pruta is value altogether, it would be effective. Case number three, if she eats them as they're given, you'd only be married if one of them is worth the pruta. So the Gemara explains right away that case number one that breaks up the reality by the different languages that he used, of iskachi, 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 is like Rabbi Shimon, that you're chayef for Ashim Gezelis multiple times if you swear with the Lashon of Shvua in between each person who tainas that you owe him money. 
Now let's move on to the next section. There's two ways to explain the third clause of our Mishnah, if it's falling back on the first case or the second case. Rav Mishmol says it's referencing the ratio where you said a skachi in between the languages. And the Chiddush is, in a scenario where she put it down, since he said the language is hiskachi in between, obviously it splits it up. One of them has to be worth a pruta for her to be married. The Chiddush is, is that even though she ate it in the, the seifa as a clause of the first case, so you'd say she's enjoying the pleasures in quicker, maybe even if it's less than a pruta, one of them, she, she should still be married. Mashmalan, she won't be because it's less than a pruta. And Ravami learns differently that this third clause is referencing back to the seifa, where he said, it's gradually bezo, bezo, bezo. Aye, if that's true, how could the Mishnah say you'll be married if one of them is worth a pruta? Mashma, even if one of the earlier ones is worth a pruta, that shouldn't be true because that's already alone as she's already consumed and you can't be married with a loan. So he says it means, achas really just means ba'acharona, if the last one he gave was worth a pruta, you'd be married. But in a chinami, if one of the earlier ones that she had already consumed was worth a pruta, you wouldn't be married because that's already being married with a loan, something that he doesn't have to give her anymore and the marriage wouldn't be effective. Rava says we see from Ami's uh, rulings, three halachas. Number one, you can't be married with a loan. Number two, if you marry a woman with two things, the loan and a pruta, her focus is on the pruta, and therefore you're married in this case if the last one's worth a pruta. And turning to Memvav Mudbeis, the third point we see is when he gives monies for Kedushin, the intent is that if the Kedushin shouldn't be effective, it's like a deposit and it should return to the husband. And therefore, in a scenario where she consumes it, it becomes like a loan, and that's why you can't be married with the earlier dates, even if they're worth a pruta. It's not a gift, because if it was like a gift, actually, and he wants her to keep it regardless, so then she actually could be married with the earlier dates, because essentially the Kedushin begins in the beginning and extends till the end. So the Chiddush of saying that it has to be the last one's worth a pruta, and the earlier ones are not effective, is that when he gives monies and it's not an effective Kedushin, it needs to be returned because it's a deposit and not a gift. Final section of the day, and it actually ties into the last point. We have a machlokis if a man gives his sister kedushin, and then a resulting uh, halacha that emerges, it will see. So in such a scenario, he gives his sister kedushin, and he says, Rav learns, everyone knows that kedushin is not binding with a sister. He means to give it as a deposit, so it has to be returned to him. But he knew she wouldn't accept it if he would say, I'm giving you a pikadon, so therefore he just said, Shmuel says, same idea that he knew uh, everyone knows that uh, uh, you can't marry your sister, so he's giving it to her as a gift, but he knew she'd embar be embarrassed to accept the gift, and that's why he said it as a pikadon. Now the Gemara challenges Shmuel. Ravina challenges Shmuel from a Mishnah in Maseches Chala. The Mishnah there states that if a person gave Chala to a Kohen from flour, which we know is not effective Chala because it says, sechem, it has to be dough, it's not effective, and the Kohen needs to return it. But the Gemara says... Why does he have to return it? Why shouldn't we say everyone knows that challah can't be given from dough, therefore it must be it's a gift and the coin could keep it. So the Gemara gives two terutzim. Both terutzim use the same logic, which is in a chinami the coin should be allowed to keep it, but there's an error, there's an issue that could occur, a damage that could happen, which is why he has to return it. So the first answer is the coin may make a mistake thinking that it is challah and he might add this to flour that was just under the limit to be a chayev in chala itself. So now, which is one and one quarter kav, as the Gemara speaks out, and Rashi goes through the cheshben of what that is. Based on this, the Gemara says, this would create a kilkul, because he'll think that what he added is actually not chala. It's not going to be, make it chayev in chala, because of what he added is already chala itself. 
And in order that he knows that that's an issue, we say he has to return it. Although certain times we say he could just keep it and they could take off that gift again, for example, truma, or in this case maybe chala, it's not going to be effective here because we're worried the koi might not listen as it's all one vessel. Therefore, in order to salvage the situation, he actually has to give back that flower so he knows that this wouldn't be metukan properly. Answer to the Gemara says, really, Kohanim are Zrizim and Ksherim, as Rashi says, they're not going to make the mistake, but the Balabayas will make a mistake thinking his produce has been fixed up by taking off Chala. Therefore, he can't keep it and just retake off more. Be- I mean, they can't say the Kohen should just keep it and he should take off more Chala because the Balabayas might not listen when it comes to one vessel. And as the Gemara just finishes off and says, although when it comes to Truma, if you give spoiled Truma, there you actually, the Kohen could keep it and take off, and the Yisrael would take off again. That's because spoiled truma actually is yaitz on a Dairaisa level. But this, you're not yaitzachala at all, so in order to avoid the issue of the Balabayas making a mistake in one vessel thinking it's fixed up, <coughs> the Kohen actually has to return it to the Yisrael, making it very clear this was not done properly and his produce is not mitukan. We're stopping here. Memvavmud Bey's last line on the page. Bez Hashem will pick up with the next week's staff review from Daf Mem Zayin. In the meantime, everybody have a wonderful day.